being sort of a layout of the book. Uh, as we go forward, uh, verse number three here, this is going to be our focus and we'll pick up today. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as we uh, began last week, I want to begin again. We look at verse number 12 and we see the whole purpose of the church. We see the purpose of the Christian life, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. That is the goal. And what we find in this passage is something very specific. We're going to see how the name of Jesus Christ has been glorified in them as they have grown in faith and love with one toward another. But as well, as the name of Jesus Christ is glorified, not just because they seem to be doing well spiritually, but because they suffer for the name of Christ's sake, for the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to see is that ultimately all of life, whether we suffer or whether we triumph, we can triumph in suffering as we glorify the name of Jesus. Ultimately, all of life, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, to consistently lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That is the goal of every Christian in the church. Now here in verses 3 through 5, we're going to see the thanksgiving that is given, as Paul often does in his letters and as we see throughout the New Testament. Uh, there at the, the early stages of the writing of the letter, uh, he, he's normally not just going, hey, here's what I got to tell you, so listen up, bucko. No, that's not normally it. He, he sometimes gets to it, to it that way, but uh, the way he starts is, Normally, a, a time of thanksgiving, gratitude, and he wants to give them sort of the, the good news of, of how the Lord is blessing and working in their midst. So with thanksgiving here, as we see, he begins, he says, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren. And then he says, because your faith groweth exceedingly in the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, right? Thomas writes, as Paul does in every epistle but Galatians, he begins his remarks by thanking God for the spiritual progress of those to whom he is writing. A feature found nowhere else except later in this same epistle marks his appreciation. He feels obligated to express gratitude for what God has done in their lives. Now, let's be honest. All of us know that we need some reproof, some reproof and some rebuke, right? But we need that exhortation as well. We, we need the, the commendation to know, hey, I might be a mess up, but I don't maybe mess up all the time. And so here, Paul is an encourager as well. And so we have to be reminded that though we're not always walking in the Spirit, we're not always walking in the flesh either. We have to be reminded that just because we don't always feel that we're triumphing in the Christian life, we have to be reminded that there is a consistency to the Christian life. You and I, unfortunately, tend to have been taught, uh, maybe subtly this way, that the way in which we see real growth is through exponential growth, through these big bursts of energy and spiritual uh, success. But here's what we find real success is in the Christian life. It is the mundane. It is the ordinary. It is the consistent yielding to God. It is the consistent repenting when there is sin found. It is a life of steadiness. 
of steadfast faith. Steadfast faith is not only unmovable, but it, it, it is not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. It's not tossed about just because the wind blows. It is not easily laid over on its side or, or thrown from one ditch to another. It, it remains what it is. And we have to learn to be content that God often does His greatest work in a slow, consistent manner. Now, let me put it this way. I love a good, quick, seared sirloin that is nice, rare, and mooing. All right? That's just how it is. If you, if you cook a, a steak well done, it's a crime against that poor cow. All right? Now, you know what else I love, though? I love beef in a crock pot. Low and slow. Right? Tender. Now, now here's, here's why I say that. It's good to sometimes have that seared steak. It tastes delicious. It's great. Now, you pay seared steak money when you go and you get you one, right? But when you deal with that crock pot, we often view it as some sort of poor man's meal or cheap and easy. But sometimes it's the most wholesome, homemade, helpful goodness that there is, right? Now, I know that sounds silly this morning, but we've got to understand that the Christian life is much more than about quick frying in a pan. It is about the slow and steady race of trusting and, and learning to walk with God. Now, we often think of the Christian walk as a constant race, as a sprint. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon, and sometimes we're walking this sucker. Sometimes we are slow and steady, and sometimes it feels as if we are limping along, but as long as we are moving forward, that's what we can rest assured. Now, you might be taking baby steps, but as long as you are taking steps, that is the key. Now, here's what we're going to see here. Thankfulness, ultimately, in Paul, is exemplified, and it should mark the Christian life as we look at the work of God in the life of other believers and we see their growth. One, we should be thankful that God is at work in our lives. Oftentimes, I don't believe that we are, at least for myself, I don't know about you, you're probably more spiritual than I am, but I, sometimes I'm not thankful to God about the work that He does in my life because I often don't see it, right? You ever been there? We don't see this great big old fruit. We don't see this abundance uh, that, that we think we ought to be seeing. And so we, we're not very thankful for what God is doing in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the crockpot Christian life, right? But here we are told and we see the example of Paul that even if we don't see it in our life, if we see that growth and that godliness that is growing in someone else's life, you should thank the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If we're prideful and we only want ourselves to be better than everyone else at being a Christian, then we're not going to be thankful when God is working in someone else's life. What we find is that we should rejoice and be thankful that God is at work, not just in our life, but in the life of other believers. Could you imagine how selfish it would be? Lord, I don't want you to work in any other church today except for ours. Lord, I don't want you to help any of those other pastors that I love and that know that are preaching the word. Lord, I just want you to help ours. Lord, I don't want you to help anyone else in the church today as we come to hear your word. I just want you to help me. Any of you prayed that this morning? No, of course not. You prayed the opposite. Why? Because we see that we're thankful that though we don't always see the, the big, big work that we find is that God is always at work amongst His people through the, the global body of Christ. Therefore, we rejoice in this. Thankfulness is not jealous, but it is humble, it is loving, it is godly. It should be the mark of the Christian to thank God continuously for things. We think back, you could turn over just a page backwards to 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, as Paul was writing uh, and finishing up 1 Thessalonians. What does he say? Chapter 5, verse 18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The will of God for your life is that we would be thankful. 
The will of God for your life is that we would be a grateful people because we have everything to be grateful and thankful for. Your life might be falling apart this morning. You might feel like a miserable wretch, and you might be a miserable wretch. Yet, if you are saved today, you have breath in your lungs, you've got an awful lot of things to praise God for. Because even if we're, even as, as we've talked about and we've seen, even if our health fades and our fortune is gone, our family's gone, even if our world comes, crawling, or comes crashing down and, and falls apart, if we know Christ, then we have everything that we need. And we have much more than what we deserve. So, as we look here, Paul then gets into the specifics. He, he is not just showing us an example of thankfulness, but he says we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Paul is thankful that the church is exemplary in faith and love. Now, here's the thing. We often view churches as successful based upon the amount of attendance, the amount of budget, the amount of activity or ministry. I want you to know, here's how you can tell if a church is successful or not. Are they faithful? Are they loving? Now, I will tell you this. As we look at this, we find that we're not going to be loving unless we're faithful, right? And we're only truly faithful if we're loving, We find that the two go hand in hand. They are codependent on one on the other. And just as thankfulness is to mark the Christian life, so is faith and love. As a matter of fact, we find that we are saved by grace through faith. What do we find else about the Christian life? How do we live? Now by grace through faith. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. What we find then is as well that uh, faith leads us to love Him. It is a trust in Him, a dependence in Him. But as well, faith leads us to love one another. If there is no love For the brethren, there is no real faith. Genuine faith produces a genuine love. We see this in the book of James. We see this in the book of John, uh, especially in 1 John as he writes about this. And now Morris writes, he gives thanks for two points. The growth of the convert's faith and the abundance of their love. Two matters about which he had prayed. Now, he had prayed for these things back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verse 10 and 12. Then we also see that he had been anxious about their faith, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. But now gives thanks for its vigorous growth. His verb, uh, uh, hyperoxonii, only here in the New Testament, gives the idea of growing beyond is increasing, pleonatsi, uh, is another strong verb. It differs in that, whereas the previous verb applies strictly to organic growth, like that of a healthy plant, right, slow and steady. This one points to wide dispersal. The love is exercised by the entire community and by each individual. The love of every one of you has for each other, right? Paul has some uh, salutary remarks to administer, but he is glad to begin by paying his tribute to the Christian's love and perme- that permeated to the community. Here's what we find. Every church and every Christian has strengths and weaknesses. But what we ought to be strong in are these two things, faith and love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And faith, without faith, we can't please God. Without faith, we can't love one another. Without faith, we can't operate in the Spirit. Without faith, we can't do anything, right? And so we must trust the Lord. But here's what we see. Ultimately, as we see these two verbs, the idea of uh, your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity uh, of every one of you toward, uh, all toward each other aboundeth, we find that faith grows us deeper and loves it grows us broader. It, it reaches out. It goes outward. And now you think about this. You get a good, healthy plant, and what does it do? Well, a good, healthy plant is going to have deep roots, and then it's going to have broad fruit. It's going to be moving about, right? Spilling over is the idea. 
Here, their deep root of faith that is growing deeper and deeper in a trust of the Lord is not merely sending the plant of their Christian life, if you will, upward, but it is sending it and spilling it out over, where it is now abounding toward one another in love. The measure of church growth is not the numbering of nickels and noses. Rather, true growth is measured by faith and love. So, here's an easy litmus test for each one of us this morning. Am I growing as a Christian? Here's the easy test. Am I growing in faith? Am I growing in love? Now, here's what we would like. We would like to grow in being at ease and being comforted and being joyful and being lots of things. And they're not necessarily bad per se, but we must learn to grow in faith and love. Faith is growing in a walk and a dependence and a trust with the Lord. It is vertical before it is ever horizontal, right? But then faith, it gives uh, legs to uh, the love where it goes horizontal and vertical, where we love the Lord. And because we love the Lord, we love his people. And it should abound in love. Uh, we have all probably been to a church at times that we thought isn't very loving. We've maybe been to a church that isn't very faithful. And, and then you, you go, well, how do we find this, right? Because you got some are this way, some lean this way. We, we all tend to work in this awful life of extremes, right? We either stick so closely to doctrine that we begin to hate everybody that doesn't believe like we do, or we accept everyone and we forget doctrine and, and, and we're so loving. We, 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 what we find though is that the two go hand in hand. We need faith and trust in the Lord and His Word, but it needs to show itself in love. Now, as we look at this, true faith will produce true love and love itself is the exercise of faith. The two are codependent and make up the entirety of the Christian life. You take away one, you take away the Christian. Uh, you, you take away one of these and you take away the meaning of the Christian life and the power of the Christian life and what the Christian life is even to look like. McIntosh writes, Faith puts us in contact with the eternal spring of love in God Himself. And the necessary consequence is that our hearts are drawn out and love to all who belong to Him. Perhaps one of the greatest commendations that Paul gives to a church in all of his writings is found right here. He says, when I, when I hear about what's going on in your church, he says, I praise God because your faith is growing deeper, higher, wider, and your love is abounding one toward another. You can't ask for much more than that. You can't ask for much more fruit than that or more faithfulness than that. And so it's a wonderful thing that Paul praises him for this. But then now as you get into verse 4, he says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So if, as we see these two verses going hand in hand, what we find out is that they're growing in faith and love in the midst of the toughest times that they've ever faced. This is why what we find is that trials are not meaningless, but they are full of purpose. They are full of the desire of God in His hand to move us even and to lead us and to guide us through these difficulties in life so that we would grow in faith and love, so that we would be an example to other believers and to other churches, so that we would be for a, a testimony that here we see Paul goes, I'm talking to other churches about your faithfulness and your perseverance because here's what we find. Real faith, real love, is truly grown and seen in the fires of affliction. We learn to trust God through the difficult times. We learn to love one another when it's not so easy, when it'd be easier to save our own skin. 
What we find is that they're growing in faith and love while facing persecution. Paul glories in their patience and faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulations. Here's what we have to understand. An, an enduring church, a church that endures, is an extraordinary church. Most churches don't make it 50 years. Victory Way has made it 51 years. Praise the Lord, right? We see that there's many churches that don't make it, that don't last, and sadly there's many Christians who who, who don't make it and, and don't last, that the trials of life become too much. And, and, and what we find is that the, the things of this life are overwhelming at times. What we find, though, is that in order to truly be extraordinary in faith and love is that we must simply endure. And that doesn't sound fun because in order to endure something, it means that there's some sort of opposition that we have to endure. But that is the very, uh, the very way of the life of the Christian, to take up the cross and follow Him. It is a way of death. Uh, the, the true way to truly live is a way of death. We find that we walk on a narrow way, not the broad and the easy way. We find that we walk, uh, and as Paul talks about later on, that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. And they were facing it from the, from the get-go. The church of Thessalonica was one that Paul, Silas, and Timothy could point back to as an example for other churches of how to faithfully, lovingly, and patiently endure adversity. <coughs> as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, looking at the life of Job and, and the school of suffering, <clears throat> what we find is that the purpose is ultimately so that we would be a testimony to, to others. You are an encouragement to other believers when you endure faithfully. You are an encouragement to other churches when you endure hardships and trials. I want to encourage you in this way, right? Y'all remember a few years ago when everything in the church felt like it was falling apart and you were waiting to try to get a new pastor and nothing was working out and then you settled, right? <laughs> Y'all remember that? <laughs> remember how hard that was? Did anybody enjoy the, the difficulties that that brought about? The losses, the challenges, the week in and week out of not knowing what you're going to get? It's tough. Once you know, about half a mile up the road, there's another church going through that right now. Then a few more miles down the road, there's another church going through that right now. So why do I say that? Not for you to go, whew, glad it's not us this time. But rather for us to go, you know what? Now's the time to be the example and testimony for them. There, there's churches going through adversity right now that are going through difficulties, and now is not the time to go, well, I'm glad we're not them, so let's hurry up while the getting's good. No, now is the time to go, hey, we've been there. Let me encourage you. It's going to be all right. Let me encourage you to endure. Let me encourage you to trust the Lord. Let me encourage you to be still and know God. Uh, to, let, let me encourage you to, to gather together, to unify. <clears throat> let me encourage you and, and to learn from, from our mistakes or, or the lessons that we learned along the way. That's what our church should be. That's what every church should be, an example and a help to the other. And here, Paul is able to point to the Thessalonians and go, <clears throat> hey, uh, you know, church at, we'll say Corinth or Ephesus or, or wherever, you're facing some tough times. Hey, let me tell you about this group of believers over here in Thessalonica. They got saved and immediately started getting persecuted from the Jews and everyone else around them. And their life is a mess and a wreck. I mean, they're struggling week to week. But hey, guess what? They're growing in faith. They're growing in love. God is using them and he can do the same for you. Now, this sounds like some sort of rah-rah pep talk, but what this is, is this is us understanding that God is at work and desires to use the adversity in our life, even the afflictions that we face, even the persecutions, ultimately, to what? 
that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. God is not only glorified when things are going good. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is perhaps most glorified when we respond by faith when everything is falling apart. Sorensen writes, the word translated as patience, among other things, has a sense of perseverance. Now, you and I, one, none of us probably go, I'm a patient person. No? Most of us don't. Most of us don't have patience, right? But what's the idea of patience? It's perseverance. That's real patience here. Now that clearly, as Sorensen continues, he says, is the sense here. It is apparent that his church, or that this church was already undergoing persecution, probably from the jealous uh, Jewish community at Thessalonica. See Acts 17, 5-9. As they were persecuted and faced other troubles, they simply endured it with persevering patience and faith. Paul thus complimented them, and in so doing, sought to encourage them. Let me ask you, how do you get through tough times? How do you learn to endure? How do you grow in perseverance? Well, I believe it's found and answered already in the first letter that Paul writes. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you have to look to the gospel. If you, keep, if you lose a focus of faith on the gospel, if you merely think that the gospel is only there to save you from your sins and not to sanctify you and to cleanse you and to encourage you and to comfort you in time of affliction, then you've missed the point of the gospel. The gospel is much more than keeping you out of hell. The gospel is to lead you on the road to Christ, to know Him, to walk with Him, to even know Him in suffering and persecutions. And he goes on and he says, Even so them which also sleep in in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what they're facing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Persecutions, doubts, discouragement. They were going, well, we've got all these folks who have died. They were believers, and we don't know. Are they going to be worse off for it in the end? Are we going to be better? Are we going to beat them to the punch to, to be in glory? And here's what Paul says. He says, I've got your comfort for you. I've got comfort not merely for your your lost loved ones uh, who have gone on to be with the Lord, but I've got comfort for you who are alive and remain unto that day of His appearing where He calls His people out. We find that there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be difficulties. It's going to be hard. But the comfort is knowing that Christ is coming. The comfort is found in these words. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That day might not be right now, It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next year. But that day is coming where we will be with the Lord never to depart. That is how we get through uh, through persecutions. That is how we get through adversity. Knowing that though I suffer right now, that though everything is a wreck right now, one day it ain't going to be. One day it won't. One day it's going to be much more than okay. One day I will be with the Lord and never to depart. And so uh, then as Barclay writes, the word Paul uses is a magnificent word. It is hupomene, which is usually translated as endurance, but does not make, uh, does not, <clears throat> excuse me, does not mean the ability uh, uh, passively to bear anything that may descend upon us. So let me pause there. 
Here, as Barclay talks about, Sorensen alludes to it as well, and we see clearly here, Paul is not saying, hey, dear believer, I'm calling you to be a punching bag. Nope. Here's what he says. The idea of enduring is not being a punching bag of the world or the flesh or the devil, but it is an active thing. Here he goes on and he describes it, describes a spirit which not only endures the circumstances in which it finds itself, but overcomes them. It accepts the blows of life, but in accepting them, transforms them into stepping stones to new achievement. So here's what we find. Those that truly persevere have the right perspective when troubles come. The only way that we will overcome and truly overcome the difficulties of life is if we have the right perspective. What's the right perspective? The gospel still saves. The gospel still is my comfort. Christ's coming is still my comfort and my hope. And so I will trust in him come what may because he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So therefore, because I know that he's with me now and I'm going to be with him later and never depart, therefore, I will keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Here's what we see. Morris goes on and describes this, that persecutions are assaults made on Christians, specifically on account of their Christian profession. Now, here's the thing. There is a difference between just tough times, tribulations, adversity, and persecution. The idea of persecution here is literal in the sense of, oh, you believe in Jesus? Well, guess what? I'm going to crack you on the head now. Oh, you believe in Jesus? So here's what we're going to do now. Now, if you want to uh, come to our shops, you're going to have to pay a, an extra tax. Or you're not going to be allowed to shop at the shop at all, right? Y'all remember uh, in Nazi Germany what the Jews had to do. They had to wear marks going, we're Jewish. Therefore, they could not go into shops. They could not go to restaurants. They could not do a multitude of things. And ultimately, it rounded them up. What was taking place here is that they are facing actual persecution for their faith because they believe in Christ. Now, at times, we have some people who want to shrug us off or even keep us out of their life because of our faith and Christ. And what God says, what through Paul here, is keep on going. He says, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Not only do they face persecutions where people are coming against them for what they believe, but then as well for this. He goes on and he says, persecutions are assaults made of the Christians, specifically on the account of the Christian profession. Trials, the Lipson, uh, are more general. Any of the tribulations and troubles they might meet, whether persecution or any other. The present tense you are enduring shows that the troubles were not past history, but present at the time of writing. Meaning, if you're looking in this life to get out of trouble, you're not going to find it. If you're looking to get out of the fight, if you're looking to get it to where everything's going to be comfy and peaches and cream and a bed of roses, it won't happen here. You say, well, this mean all my life is just one big trial? Yes and no. You make it through one tribulation, you make it through one persecution, and boy, there's rest, and it's wonderful. But it's just a season. Because the tribulation is just a season. The persecution is just a season. And the rest after it, the mountaintop, is just a season. Because all of our life is just a season as we are pilgrims passing through, waiting for the promise of the coming of Christ. Now, we are promised persecutions and tribulations. That's a promise. But what else are we promised, dear believer? Yes, we are promised that things are going to be hard in the Christian life, but we are promised that Christ is with us 
in us, working through us and for us, and that He is coming back again to call us out of here, and that one day we'll be with Him. Now, let me ask you, which one is greater? The difficulty of persecutions and tribulations or that Christ is coming? Christ is coming is far greater, in case you weren't sure. It is far greater to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. For I reckon uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. What we find is that it will one day be worth it. So endure these things faithfully as the Thessalonians did. We are promised persecutions and tribulations, but we are also promised to be delivered from the great tribulation. Believers do not suffer without hope, faith, and confidence. Though we might face a lifetime of little t tribulations, the Lord has promised that we will not face the big T tribulation. Praise God for that. And so folks today are freaking out, worried, anxious about everything that's happening on all around them. But for you and I that know Christ, this is a time of comfort because the Word of God is showing itself to be all the more true than we already thought it was. Our faith and our love has an opportunity to grow deeper and wider as we share the Gospel and we await the promises of God. And as we await, yes, we'll face persecutions. Yes, we'll face tribulations. But one day, we shall be with the Lord and never depart. So may Christ be our comfort. We sing a song, I think it's on the, on the docket, I think in the next week. Christ our hope in life and death. He must be our hope. Because without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no life. Without Christ, there is nothing. All we truly have in this life and the life to come is Jesus Christ alone. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We want to thank you for this morning. Grateful that we could look to your word. Lord, help us to find comfort. Help us to be growing in faith and love with one another. Lord, that we might trust you, that we might express our trust in you by loving you and loving uh, your people. We do pray that we would be persevering and enduring through the trials and tribulations and the persecutions that we may face. Lord, that we might do so for the name of Jesus Christ, that it might be glorified and magnified. We pray that this morning that all that we say and do would would be to your honor and to your glory. Prepare our hearts now to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.